you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 20 through 33. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. You ever try to get someone's attention and they just weren't paying attention? You kept saying something, trying to get them to listen, and they just ignored you? I think every parent has seen that in the home. Their child's so caught up in something, they're doing it, and the parent's trying to get them to go do their chores, and the child's completely distracted. Maybe you've been one of those when you were a kid, right? Mom and dad called you up because it's time for dinner, and you decided, I want to play some more. I don't want to pay attention to what mom and dad are saying. I want to do what I'm doing because it's more exciting right now. You see, the truth is, every single one of us knows that throughout our lives, God is calling for our attention many times. The truth is, we're not listening. This morning, we're going to be looking at wisdom that comes from God that tries to get people's attention, and they are simply not paying attention. The question for us this morning is, are we those people that are not paying attention? When God speaks through His Word, we ought to listen but often we are too distracted. This morning we're going to be looking at two things here in the text. Number one, the warning, verses 20 through 23, and number two, the result, verses 24 through 33. Let's start with number one, the warning, verses 20 through 23. It says this, Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses, at the openings of the gates in the city. She speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. When we read this text, we essentially read that wisdom shouts in the busy streets to those that will listen. Wisdom, which we will expand to mean godly instruction, skill to live the everyday life, or the ability to see something from God's perspective in practical matters, it's personified as a woman calling to get people's attention, almost shouting, if you will, and they're not listening hoping that they will listen. Wisdom warns of three people that are in danger of not living as God prescribes, particularly in this text. Number one, we have the simple. Number two, we have the scorners and scoffers. And number three, we have the fools. These three categories of people are dispersed throughout society today. And before you're quick to judge which one others are, you and I have a proclivity to one of them. And the question is, are we going to do an honest evaluation of our own hearts? Some of these words can be used interchangeably, but for the breakdown of this particular text, we will be separating them out. So number one, the simple. Who are these people? Well, the simple are simply those people that are essentially naive. 
They don't know what's going on. They're not paying attention. These are people that hear something and believe it right away without really doing due diligence. In fact, Proverbs 14:15 says, "The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps." The difficulty in convincing the simple is that they just keep going around thinking that everything is fine in their lives. The difficulty with the simple is that even when you're trying to explain that they don't know what they're talking about, they don't believe that. Scripture can tell them over and over again that they will suffer severe consequences for disregarding wisdom, and they just believe ignorantly that everything will just work out in the end. It'll be fine. The simple will hear something new, believe it to be right without double-checking. Because a video on Facebook or TikTok said it, it must be true. The simple are the ones that will fall for the latest things that come up. It's even worse when it's a believer who believes every Christian book they ever read without any discernment. They believe every Christian author has valid things to say, even though some is straight garbage and heresy. To them, all Christians are the same. So they'll hear the truth preached and listen to someone else's take on it, and switch to that perspective instantly. They'll believe it right away without realizing that there may be a major discrepancy between the two different authors. Believing that God knows the plans He has for you does not mean that you can do whatever you want. And it does not mean that He will prosper you in whatever you want to do. But that's a lot of people today. They think that they can live their lives any which way they please. They can live in ignorance, and God is okay with that. The trouble follows the simple, because those that are simple live in ignorance. They don't know any better. They simply cannot connect the dots to why things are going wrong sometimes in their life. They blame everything but the real problem. You ever met people like that? They blame everyone else but themselves when they're the cause. It's true in the church. It's true in the world. Everyone else is responsible for what happened in my life. The only person I don't want to look at is me. It was my parents, my teachers, my coworkers, my boss. It was everybody else. It was the government that blew my money last month. It's always someone else's fault. And unfortunately, these people continue to live in ignorance. One thing, though, that is beneficial for the simple is when they see the scoffer, which we'll talk about here in a moment, punished, they learn the lesson at times. When they finally see a result in someone else's life and it really catches their attention, they start paying attention sometimes. It wakes them up from their naive thinking. Proverbs 21.11 says this, when the scoffer is punished, the simple is made wise. But when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. So we've looked at the simple. These are the, those that are naive, those that don't know any better. Well, the second group are those that do know better, and they openly rebel. The second group are the scorners and scoffers. 
Unlike the simple who are ignorant, these people know full well what's going on and simply laugh at it all. They look down at those that live in wisdom as if they're essentially missing out on the experience of a lifetime. Scorners and scoffers live with a cocky attitude, thinking they know everything and better than anyone else around them. In fact, scorners and scoffers pride themselves in putting down those that offer sound advice. Proverbs 9 Verses 7 and 8 says this, He who corrects a, a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wise man only harms himself. A wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. You see, the truth is, if you're looking for an insult, try to give wisdom to a scorner or scoffer. They'll be happy with that. Many of them exist in the evangelical world today who grew up in Christian homes and now look down at everyone who still thinks the Bible is relevant. They think they've somehow become enlightened by accepting the progressive thinking of their peers today. Many modern day scorners are found in progressive Christian movements of today with Christian artists and preachers who openly mock the God of the Bible in the name of inclusivity. You will see people attempting to reach out to them in an attempt to get them to see the truth with their callous response mocking their attempt as unloving or insulting the integrity of Scripture. Scorners and scoffers are dangerous for disciples of Christ because they are good at being confident in their error. You ever met someone that's confident, but they're confidently wrong? That's a scorner. Oh, they really think they know it. They have you fooled. And then you realize, wait a second, they don't know what they're talking about. That's what scorners and scoffers are like. They exude confidence, but they're wicked. They bring many simple people into destruction with them, which is one of the reasons why naive Christians are easily caught by scorners and scoffers. Because a simple person doesn't know any better. They don't even know they're being fooled. So many Christians, in an attempt to reach these types of people, the scorner, the scoffer, end up joining their ranks in opposing those that told them the truth in the past. It's heartbreaking to see. They convince college students that their parents didn't know what they were talking about when they raised them in a Christian home. Because they're not as intellectual as they are. Jesus didn't directly address certain subjects, so it makes those subjects completely okay, according to them disregarding the teaching of Scripture as a whole. It's one of the reasons why scorners and scoffers will mock at Christians that hold the certain moral values today. Well, Jesus didn't directly address this, so that means it's okay. Jesus didn't address a lot of things that you should still be disgusted by because he gave you the rest of the Word of God. 
Those things testify of Jesus. That's what Scripture says. So they are in line with what Jesus would have said. J.C. Ryle says this, be very sure of this. People never reject the Bible because they cannot understand it. They understand it too well. They understand that it condemns their own behavior. They understand that it witnesses against their own sins and summons them to judgment. They try to believe it is false and useless because they don't like to believe it is true. It's unfortunate, but I will make a statement that might shock some of you on this point. Some Christians pretend to be simple, that they don't know any better, but they're living an open life of scorning and rebellion against God and scoffing. Don't fall for that. There are a lot of people that pretend to want to know better some things, understand some things better. They know already and they openly live in rebellion against God. Don't mix the two categories. There are some people that are truly naive, they don't know any better, and then there are those that definitely know better, pretend they don't. A scorner scoffer will attempt to negate the message of Scripture by pointing out inconsistencies in people while avoiding the clear contradictions in their own lives. The scorner and scoffer is very good when you call them out to go, but look at this in your life. They're very good at that. In fact, they have that down to a science. They know how to nail people for their flaws. Because their ultimate goal is to mock the truths of Scripture. Scoffers are to be avoided as they pose a threat to a wise person living according to God's Word. There are certain people... I stay away from, and I'm going to be right up front, church. The ones that want to belittle the Bible, mock what Scripture really teaches, are not the guys I'm going to listen to online. Period. End of story. Will I be aware of their message? Sure I will. But those are not people that I'm going to be spending time with to try to get to know better. Because here's the truth. Scoffers and scorners will trip people up. They don't want to know the truth. They want you to join their ranks. Number three, the fool. As discussed previously, a fool is one who does not fear God or even acknowledge his existence. They live a sinful, carnal life defined by their own standards. A fool lives with earthly or demonic wisdom that worships self and disregards God. A fool is one who despises wisdom, one who is quarrelsome, one who is licentious. They live with their own parameters. A fool can be used interchangeably for the others, but essentially is a person that despise knowledge, despises knowledge, as we see in verse 22. They just don't want to know what God has to say. The fool loves to just get away with things. In fact, Proverbs 10.23 says this, to do evil is like sport to a fool. But a man of understanding has wisdom. You see, to fools, they can't help themselves. It's fun to do the opposite of what God expects. It's a game to them. 
Who says it's important to be a steward, a good steward of my money? God? What do I care what he thinks? That's what a fool assumes and lives. Money's for me to enjoy and splurge and do whatever I want with it. They use up all the credit they have available and blame God for not giving them more. We've all lived proverbial fools at times in our lives. They try to impress people with things that they don't even have available to them. They try to pretend they're better off than they really are. Fools like to give their take on everything. They have an opinion on everything. You ever been at a table with people and you have that one person that really knows what they're talking about and someone jumps into the conversation that has no clue? And you're like, why? You don't even know what you're talking about. And they act like they know. But they're ignorant. But they exude confidence, but they have no clue at all what they're bringing to that conversation. Fools will gladly find someone that supports them in their foolishness. Be careful, church, because here's, here's one thing that is all too frequent in our lives that we don't pay attention to sometimes. When we are in foolishness ourselves, we're practically living as fools, we try to find someone else to approve of our foolishness. Right? Like, Someone tells us we're wrong, but we got to go find someone that, you know, approves of my foolish behavior right now, so I feel a little better about myself. Be careful with that. Also, be careful when someone's absolutely doing something stupid and foolish, and they come alongside hoping that you'll encourage them in that. Don't do it. A fool doesn't need encouragement in their foolishness. Stand strong in what's right. Proverbs 15, 14 says this, The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. The practical lesson in wisdom and foolishness is boiled down to what a person consumes on a daily basis. I mean, look at your life. What do you consume? And I'm not talking about the food, right? Like the regular diet, everybody eats certain foods every day. I'm talking about what does your mind consume every day? If you were to take your last week and say, okay, here's how much I spent really having God input in my life. Here's what I spent having the world input in my life. Here's what I spent kind of reading some books I really wanted to. What gave you the input that you now have in your mind this last week? What did you allow in? If the consumption is very little scripture and godly wisdom, but a lot of foolish junk food that's promoted by the world, the result will be a different life as well. You see, the problem is a lot of Christians think they can consume so much of the world and that the world will not affect them. It does. It will. You can't ignore that. So many Christians wonder why they're spiritually deficient, but don't ever check their own spiritual diet. You see, some of us, we're more consumed about the calories and carbs and all of that in real life, but we need to be consumed with some of the stuff that goes on with our own minds. What are we inputting? We want the quick fix, right? The pastor, just to pray over me and hopefully it goes away, right? 
I'm going to walk an aisle. That's what a lot of churches do. They walk an aisle and think everything goes away magically. They struggle with the same sin next week. Why? Because they didn't deal with it the right, right way. Everybody likes the quick fix. Spiritually speaking, Christians like the quick fix. What do you mean it takes real work to work through this depression? It does. What do you mean it takes work to get a better marriage? It does. What do you mean it takes work to be a better steward of my finances? It does. So many people get so duped by simple things in their life. They want a song to make it fix them. Please tell me you fall into that foolishness that I have, right? Had a horrible day, listened to a song, oh, I'm good now. That was foolish. How quick was that fix? That's all it took? One song to fix my whole day? Think of how foolish that is when you look back. I'm not saying songs can't encourage. They should. But if that's how easily you and I are manipulated, we have serious issues. To actually get into the Bible consistently and read for ourselves, that takes work. To have someone else do it for us, it's easier, right? To get into fellowship consistently with others, that takes work. So many people want what discipleship offers, but they don't want to put the work into it. So then they're frustrated that discipleship's not happening in their lives. You've got to put some effort in. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need, and you need to. You're like, yeah, my prayer life sucks. Who's to blame? You have all these things scheduled in your week. Schedule time to pray. And not just the haphazard before we pray, Lord, thank you so much for this food, amen. Actually take the time. Make it a priority. You schedule what you prioritize in your life. You have a job, you have to show up at a certain time, right? Why is God the one that we just kind of do whenever we want, whenever we want? I don't feel like it today, I'll do this tomorrow night. I don't feel like it tonight, I'm going to do this tomorrow morning. right? And we just do that in our lives. It would be good to heed Spurgeon's warning when he said this. If you do get lost, some of you will have to wade through your mother's tears and leap over your father's prayers and your minister's entreaties. You will have to force a passage through the warnings of godly people and the examples of pious relatives. Why this effort to destroy your own souls? There's nothing more heartbreaking, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, church, to warn people over and over of the dangers that they're in when they don't do things God's way, and they look at you and go, I don't care. Thank you, but no thank you. I'm going to do it my way. And when you have tears that you're crying behind the scenes for people in your congregation, people that you know, your family members that are not with Christ, they don't know God. And to realize that they're doing this ultimately in a response to clear-cut instruction. Nobody's vague about it. You're in danger. It's true. We're all in danger if we're not careful. The saint that's walked with God for 30 years is just as much in danger in the world as the saint that started with Christ. Because the reality is the world is deceitful. Our hearts are deceitful. 
It breaks my heart when I see Christians that have walked for 15, 20 years with Christ, and all of a sudden you see them completely disassociate with the assembly of Christ. They disassociate from the Word of God. They start twisting Scripture into what they would want, and it shocks you. What happens? And they always blame someone else for why they ended where they were. The choices we make in disregarding wisdom comes with consequences in this life and the next. Listen, believer, there's no spiritual fad diets that work. Discipleship takes time and effort. Doesn't happen overnight. Evangelism takes time and effort. Just one event that we do in the church is not going to bring this whole church to massive performance. It takes time and effort. And so many people in the church want everything to change overnight, and they're like, why isn't it working at the rate that I would like? It doesn't work that way in real life. And you're expecting it to work that way in your spiritual walk. If you're 200 pounds overweight, you're not instantly losing 100 pounds tomorrow. Building a home takes time and effort. It is not instant. All of these things must be diligently pursued with wisdom. There are areas that still affect our lives because we simply don't believe God's method in dealing with them. We see a problem. We know what God's Word says, but we're like, I'm going to try option B, which is my way of dealing with this. And you know what many of our way of dealing with problems in our life is? One, ignore it. It'll go away. If I just not say anything about it, not bring it up, it'll eventually go away. And then you see I think pop right up. Sometimes it's years later. Sometimes it's years later. And it hits us. And the damage is very serious. Others of us, we think that we can fix everything by just quickly praying a prayer and it's all set, right? I just prayed, everything should be good. I just left it to God. God wants you to pray. God wants you to go to him. But God also has some things that he asks you to do. It isn't like the only solution in all of Scripture is just praying God makes it all better. There is real work that needs to be done on your end and my end. God that works in you both to do of his good pleasure, right? And that means that you have to do some things. Not sit there and wait. Sometimes we think, I'm just going to wait this out and hopefully it'll be okay. Some things need to be taken care of right away. Some things you ought to be patient on. That's all dependent on what Scripture says. Right? If you're about to blow up on somebody, it's probably not best to share your mind right then and there. Like, that's a proverb you might want to lock in. Some of us are like, I just need to speak my mind right away. No, you don't. It's probably the worst thing right now. If you're angry at somebody, probably be best to walk away, cool down, then bring it up. Or wait a couple days. We believe God on some things, but on other things we think we know better. And that's true for all of us. We're too proud in living as fools, claiming only others do what we ourselves still practice in not dealing with the broken relationships we have in our lives, thinking that God is okay with us ignoring it all. I know better than those around me trying to tell me what God says. So what happens, though, if wisdom is shouting to us, saying, pay attention, and we ignore it? What happens? What are the results? Number two, the result. 
verses 24 through 33. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. So what's the result if we decide not to listen to wisdom when it's speaking clearly to us? when we disregard, disdain, avoid the wisdom given to us here in the Word of God? Well, number one, wisdom, which God is the source of this wisdom, will laugh at our trouble and mock at our destruction. You read that the first time you're going, are you kidding me? Really? God's going to laugh at what's going on in my life? So many Christians' response who don't know their Bible is like, God wouldn't do that. Like, why would God do something like that? God loves all people. He wouldn't be this cruel. That's what a lot of people's response to this is. Look at his response in Psalm chapter 2 to those who think they can do better than him at ruling this world. In Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, it says this, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. When people in this world want to plot against God and what he clearly reveals in his word and standing in opposition to Jesus and why he came, God stands back and laughs at it all. The problem with most of the Christian church today, they have this hipster Jesus in mind every time. The equivalent of a pot-smoking Jesus that's good with everything they're doing. The Jesus that you and I worship in the word of God is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's not going to share his glory with anybody else. And when people want to mock, he laughs right back at them because he wins always at the end. A child of God needs to be careful in how they describe God to others and what they assume for themselves because many times our view of him has been distorted by our circumstances or the people around us. Because we've allowed them to redefine the source, which is Scripture. If your idea of God comes outside of this, your view of Him is incorrect. And it has to be all of Scripture, not a few verses that you like to pick out of context. 
I was just talking about it with my wife last night. It's amazing how unbalanced a lot of our view of God is in Christian circles today. Uh, how many of you know the text in Matthew where Jesus talks about, you know, that we are precious, that we're worth more than sparrows, not to worry about tomorrow? How many of you know that verse? How many of you also know that right in that text, Jesus warns about fearing God who can cast body and soul into hell as well? That same text that everybody loves that part, avoid the other. It's to be taken as one unit, not separate thoughts. And the problem with the church today is they present an unbalanced view of God. Some in the church view God as only wrathful, only out to get you. And then the other side really imbalances it the other way by saying God is always gracious. He's never going to punish. You can do whatever you want. His grace is always available. And both get it wrong. Because God is both good and gracious and holy and judge. Just because you feel like God is telling you one thing may not be what he's trying to communicate. Be very careful in using God as a puppet for what you and I want. See, a lot of Christians do this all the time. God wants me to do this. I love that you spoke on his authority. Where'd you find it in the Bible? I didn't. I just felt that was right. So your heart determined what was right. You know what scripture says about your heart, right? Like that's deceptive. We'll ignore that. Well, another thing that we see in this text is wisdom will not be available to help. Verses 28 through 30. We assume that we can just cry out for help and it will instantly be available. There are times in our lives where wisdom will not be available to us based on what this text says. It is only available to those that repent before they ask. Too many people want God's help without turning from sin, which caused the trouble. You, you ever see someone co suffer consequences? Maybe this is you and me. We've all done it, right? We suffer consequence for a certain sin, and we ask God to alleviate the consequences, but we don't want to deal with the sin. Like, God, this really hurt that people found out about this in my life. I want this to be dealt with, but don't, don't make me change my behavior over here. Like, I don't want to deal with that. I just want the consequence to get better so I don't have to deal with this anymore. It's embarrassing. Like, I got embarrassed in front of people. We've all been there. We've all done it. All believers have gone through this. We prefer God to take care of the consequence of our sin, not the sin itself. Listen to God's message to the people of Israel who rebelled against him and decided it didn't matter how they approached him in worship. Isaiah 1, we're just going to be reading a snippet, 12 through 16, first part. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes." 
The truth is there are times when God will not answer because He's not listening. And those are the most down times of a believer's life. What's even worse is it can happen for a long period of time and a believer doesn't even notice that God's not listening. They keep fooling themselves into thinking God is there, listening to every word that they say to him in prayer. And God is saying, I'm not listening until you repent. We all sin and must confess sin. The idea here is a refusal to repent and turn but want God's help. You ever want God to fix others only to realize that it's really you that's at fault? As a, as a father and a husband, it's amazing to me how many times I find myself thinking, man, if only this worked out better, if only this other thing was better in our lives, or man, if only we had more money to be able to do these things. And then I realize many times a lot of it's just me. I haven't been a wise steward of what God's given me. And it's always easy to blame someone else for what we ourselves are not doing correctly. God will not help as you continue to destroy your life in disregarding his commandments. Don't ask God to destroy your life continually in what you're already doing, but ask him to take the consequences away when you refuse to repent for what you actually did. It's essentially asking God to help us when we are sick so we can get better and commit the same sin again. That's what we're essentially doing. God, please help me get better so I can go ahead and do that thing again that I was wrong. It gets very practical in the New Testament. And I dare say many Christian homes disregard this text out of willful ignorance. Many Christians don't want to believe this is in the Bible, but it's there. 1 Peter 3, verse 7 says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, that's with your wife, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. You mean to tell me that God doesn't want to listen to a man that does not treat his wife correctly? That's exactly what the text says. There's a lot of men that are pontificating about how close they are to God while they disregard this text. Sometimes your cry to God is an answer because you haven't taken care of what he said to take care of in the home. It's easy to pretend that God is listening, isn't it, sometimes? You ever pretended to others that everything's fine in your life, but you're really lying and you know you are? Been there, done that. You know you're lying. You're just trying to convince yourself it's not. The truth is, it's easy to pretend that God's listening, but what if he isn't? What if he hasn't listened for quite some time? What could be the reason for that? You have to ask yourself that before him. No one else can determine that for you. You see, another thing that happens here in this text is wisdom leads those that disregard to their own consequences in verses 31 through 33. You want what you want? You think it's better? God says, go ahead. Enjoy. Enjoy the consequences of your foolish decisions. You'll get the consequences and it will hurt. 
if you disregard wisdom. You will eat the bitter fruit that comes of your life apart from him. Some of the most miserable people on this earth are not non-believers. They're Christians who are not living God's way. Because they're really tasting what they don't want to taste. The discipline of God and the consequences of sin in their lives. Believer, you will be destroyed for growing complacent in your life. C.S. Lewis said, there are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. Which one are we going to be? I love the finish here in this text in the New Living Translation. Proverbs 1, 31 through 32. Therefore they must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way, choking on their own schemes. For simpletons turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency. So you read this and you wonder, what can be done about this? What can I do to make sure that I'm living in wisdom and not foolishness, not as a scoffer, not as a simpleton or a person that's simple that doesn't pay attention or know better? Well, Proverbs 1.33 clearly tells us, whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. The idea here is listening, not just merely hearing what is said, but listening with the sense of agreeing and alignment and doing what is said. Wisdom is speaking. Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening in the sense of not just hearing the warning, the simple, the scorner, the scoffer, the fool, they heard the cry of wisdom, but they weren't really paying attention. Because the truth is, wisdom promises three, two things specifically. Number one, safety, because you're going to be aligned with God's will. And number two, security. Because God promises to keep you until the end, and you don't have to fear evil. Believer, there's nothing greater for you and I than to live in wisdom and say, you know what, God, what you say in your word, I'm going to do, even if it's hard. Because that's way better than living your life your way. You want safety and security? Don't look for it in your job. Don't look for it in your government. Don't look for it in your own abilities, your relationships. Look for it in the wisdom that is spelled out for you in God's word. This is the most precious thing that anyone can give you to live by. And if you think there's another book out there that does a better job, you are fooled. Pay attention to its warnings. They're there for a reason. They're not to be ignored. If you have not trusted Christ, if you don't know him today, you are the fool in this text. Because Jesus makes a statement. He says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That's a fool. 
That's someone that thinks they can have it all, but if they don't have Christ, they have nothing. Today could be the day that you make that right with God. That you come in saving faith, you come before him and say, Father, forgive me. You believe the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. You trust the finished work of Christ on your behalf. That's a wise decision. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been walking with him for some period of time, then live in wisdom. Why ask Jesus to be Lord and Savior, but not do what he says? Not live the way he says to live. Not take his word and apply it in your life. What a shame that so many of us disregard the shepherd of our souls and what he wants to lead us to. In his presence, as scripture says, is fullness of joy. That's what we should strive for.